Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today we're talking about the endocannabinoid system with holistic practitioner, educator, and CEO of Monaco Natural Health, Dr. Carly Bell Biggins. Dr. Carly, thank you for being here with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have the conversation this evening. Well, we are too, and uh, we know we're speaking to you. You're down in Houston, Texas. Perhaps you could give us just a quick update on uh, how you've been holding up the past couple of months. Uh, it's been uh, it's been an unprecedented time. Are you doing okay? Uh, how how is everything down in Texas? Yeah, thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. I've actually been working from home since uh, February of 2019, so there wasn't much of a transition there for me. However, you know, just uh, working around all of the different stipulations regarding COVID and uh, working at home with the child in the home now as well has been quite interesting in the homeschooling. And I think just facing all of the same challenges that everyone else has been facing around the country. But overall, we're doing very well. Can't complain. And just excited for what the future holds. Definitely, and and Carly, Dr. Carly, you are an excellent educator. This has been uh, your passion for a number of years to talk about the medicinal value of cannabinoids and to talk about the endocannabinoid system, which is really uh, a pivotal system in our bodies. It's something we've only known about really being identified in the 1990s. Uh, but just give us some background. Why is the endocannabinoid system important? Why is it something that everybody should be aware of? And I guess as, as a follow-up to that, uh, why is it important for the medical community to kind of embrace uh, the ECS? Absolutely. So the ECS, or as you stated, the endocannabinoid system, is important because it is our homeostasis regulation system in the body. Homeostasis just simply means balance. And so it's critical that people understand, especially the medical community, how the endocannabinoid system um, actually regulates all other systems in the body as well. Because if you have a system that is going to affect all the other body systems, we definitely want to be aware of that. Uh, the endocannabinoid system is extremely important because it affects things such as appetite, sleep, mood. Uh, we know that um, we see differences in the endocannabinoid system with people who have things such as PTSD, for example. Um, but overall, it's a system that helps create balance in the body. We have receptors in the central nervous system. Primarily, our CB1 receptors are located there. And we also have receptors in our peripheral nervous system. But guess what? We have them on our immune cells, the reproductive system. Uh, we have them in our lungs and our skin. And so this is a system that affects the entire body. And so um, I, I love to educate people about it. A lot of people are not aware that we have a system. And what's really neat about the system is that it actually produces our own endogenous cannabinoids, which means we produce cannabinoids just like the cannabis plant does. And those endogenous cannabinoids are called anandamide and 2-AG. 
But the receptors also respond to other cannabinoids and terpenes, um, some of the terpenes as well. Uh, and then CBD can manipulate the system too. And so it's a very intricate system. Um, we're now terming this endocannabinology, actually. And uh, we're really excited to see that some schools are starting to pick up um, educating people about the system. And the reality of it is, as far as why it's not being taught currently in schools, there's, for one, there's a stigma, right? So we have a stigma that we've been trying to undo. The stigma that came along with marijuana and cannabis uh, with the uh, 1937 passage of the Marijuana Tax Act. Before that, it was very common for doctors to prescribe marijuana. It was actually one of the top five prescribed uh, plants or uh, botanical medicines um, before this act had passed. And so we're kind of catching back up with ourselves. We've lost quite a few years there. But in the middle of that, there was a lot of propaganda, right? And there was a lot of um, miseducation about the plant that we're having to undo now. And that's why I'm so excited about it. So that's part of the reason we don't see it in schools. Another reason is because of the Schedule One status, we have a lack of funding around research. And that is a big problem for medical schools. I think once we see the decriminalization and once we have it taken off of Schedule One, we'll begin to see more schools starting to teach the endocannabinoid system to their medical students. And then another roadblock is that um, when you ask the medical schools, why don't you teach, you know, the ECS, a lot of them say there's no room in the curriculum for it. If we start to teach this, we'll have to start to take other things out. And what, what are we going to take out? And so I, I definitely believe that we should be able to fit this all-important system into the medical curriculum without having to kind of leave other things out that may be critical for a, a physician's education. Well, education is is certainly the key. And to your point, you know, if you put something in, you got to take it out. But but let's talk about just how powerful, how sensitive this system is, because it doesn't appear to me as someone who's not medically trained to make any sense at all to have something that appears to be such a powerful, influential system within the human body that's extraordinarily sensitive and effectively serves, to your point, as a regulator or, or it promotes homeostasis in the human body as I understand it. So if this system is so powerful, aside from some of the things you mentioned before, what is it that that causes us to ignore it? You know, I, I told this story before. I've gone to the doctor and, and some doctors said, you know, look, I, Mr. Hoban, I, I know what you do for a living. And, um, you know, I really have a problem with people calling marijuana medical because it's not medicine and medicine is this and this and that. And then I'd say something as a lawyer, I'd say, well, have you ever heard of the endocannabinoid system? And they'd say the what? And then you kind of just roll your eyes and why do I know this? And you don't talk about, talk just a little bit about how powerful and or sensitive this system system is because it will lead into some of these next questions about what does the system really need in what form to activate it or to, you know, cause change or promote uh, regulation homeostasis in the human body. Absolutely. And so, and I, and I love that. Um, and how so many of us within the industry may be more 
educated, right, as a cannabis attorney, maybe more educated about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system than even your own maybe primary care physician. And this is something that really needs to turn around because let me explain exactly how powerful the system is. For example, there are more cannabinoid receptors for the ECS in the brain than for all of the other neurotransmitters combined, receptors for those. So we're talking about serotonin, GABA, for example. We have all of these neurotransmitters, and they all have receptors, right, in the brain. There are more receptors for the endocannabinoid system than all of our other neurotransmitters combined. That should speak volumes as to how important this system is to the body. And so, for example, we make anandamide, which is our, our natural endocannabinoid, right? Just explain how powerful the system is. Anandamide is our bliss hormone. Ananda is Sanskrit for joy or bliss. And so when these levels are low, people start to experience things like depression, anxiety. There are studies that you can look at that show that people who suffer from PTSD actually have decreased levels of anandamide and they have increased levels of CB1 receptors within the brain. Because what happens is once that anandamide level is decreased, the brain will start to increase the number of receptors in order to utilize the anandamide that is actually present. That's how critical it is for us to have sufficient amounts of this particular endocannabinoid. And so even when we introduce the phytocannabinoid, so we'll use that same example of the PTSD patient. When we introduce the phytocannabinoid, what we see is CBD, right? What it does is it inhibits the enzyme that breaks down anandamide. It's called fatty acid amide hydrolase. And by inhibiting that enzyme, what it does is it allows anandamide to hang around longer because the enzyme is responsible for getting rid of it, right? So if we're not getting rid of it, it's going to hang around longer. And by hanging around longer, this is now going to help us to have a, a balanced mood, be able to sleep better, have less anxiety, have less of a stress response when we may hear a loud noise, for example. And so these are things that people are dealing with just regular on a regular basis. Then when we get into, for example, pain, and how many people are struggling with chronic pain? And we know that cannabis is very effective for pain. And then we look at what's available, right? Primarily, we have opioids. We also have the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs which both of those categories of drugs are, have tons of side effects that are harmful to the body. Um, even, of course, with the opioid epidemic, we can see addiction. Even if, even if that's not the intended use, it can happen over time. And so when we have something like cannabis that has so little side effects, that's so extremely effective for something like pain, um, that is something that we just cannot ignore, right? That is just a disservice to the public. And it's critical that we begin to see these more natural alternatives that can be helpful to our patients. So when you when you think about the system, what types of cannabinoids? I don't know how to ask this question. You might be able to you might understand what I'm asking without me articulating it properly. What parts of the what 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 mechanism, what manner 
is it is it the acid form of cannabinoids, for example, CBDA or THCA? Is it the isolated mm-hmm. form? Is it a full spectrum form? What interacts or affects or agitates uh, these sensors, this system? Is it all forms of cannabinoids? Because, you know, there's some misnomers out there. Oh, isolate doesn't work. Uh, isolate doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Or pure spectrum, uh, that you know, full spectrum, that's the way to go. Or, no, it's the acid form. The, sy- the system's so sensitive. All you need is C- THCA or CBDA. You don't need to, to you know, decarboxylate it or, or prepare it in another way. Can you just comment on, on some of those manners in which it's introduced into the body and what may or may not be more effective? Absolutely. And so, especially with, the, with all of the rage of CBD, we do, we see the broad spectrum, we see the isolate, and we see the full spectrum. And definitely, okay, isolate, we know it's just CBD by itself, broad spectrum, everything except for THC. And then full spectrum has everything, including the THC, right? Even though it has to be at lower levels um, in the CBD, that, that as far as it being uh, legal in all 50 states. And so the reason why people say, well, isolates really don't work, and what, what we're seeing is that CBD by itself can be effective, but at very high dosages, at least 350 milligram dosage each. And so, but when what happens with what we call this entourage effect, when you have the other cannabinoids present, there seems to be a synergistic effect, and we see the effect in the body at lower dosages when we have all of the cannabinoids present. And so with that full spectrum, for example, with it having the THC, CBD actually helps to negate some of the effects that people may not want to have from the THC. For example, the feeling of feeling high, CBD actually will help to regulate that. And so when you, when you take um, constituents out of the plant and use them separately or isolate them, you don't get full effect if you don't have balance. As a naturopathic physician, I'm very much um, an advocate for whole plant use because when you use all of those constituents that are present or the phytochemicals that are present in the plant, you're going to see more of an effect and you're going to have more of a balanced effect um, once you introduce it into the body. And so definitely I am an advocate for full spectrum, not to say that there is not a place or a reason to use isolates or broad spectrum. It just depends on exactly why you're using it. And uh, maybe there may be a reason why someone cannot use a full spectrum product. But definitely, um, all of the different cannabinoids have different effects. And so that's why it's also important for us to continue to have research. Uh, for example, like CBN. Uh, CBN is kind of the new um, one that's starting to get um, a lot of press. It is cannabinol. And it was actually the first cannabinoid that was isolated. And people thought it was responsible for the high, but it's actually THC that's responsible. It is mildly psychoactive, um, but it's something that um, when THC is oxidized, it can convert to CBN. And so it has tons of um, medicinal benefits, just like all the other cannabinoids do. Um, for, for example, it's known to be antibacterial. So I think it's really important for us to understand, um, have a better understanding of what each cannabinoid does um, so that we can better begin to pull together uh, certain cannabinoids um, for certain treatment methods, right? So what I mean is maybe one illness 
we may be able to benefit CBN plus CBD plus CBC, but something else may be great with CBN and THC only, and maybe throw in the terpene lemonade, right? And so I think as we start to learn more about each cannabinoid, we'll begin to see exactly how uh, they can be used individually and synergistically to help treat various conditions. Dr. Carly Bell-Biggins, your, your expertise on all of this and your ability to educate and just speak about these things is, is phenomenal. I want to talk a little bit more about the research part of things. You said that that was an obstacle, and I recall uh, we've talked about it before, Bob, that the uh, the university in, I believe, Mississippi is where they the only university where there was some federal money to study uh, marijuana, cannabis, but it was for addiction. It was under, you know, it could not show. show. Show us all the ways that this is harmful to humans. Exactly. And so I just, I want to talk a little bit more, uh, if we can. I It was my understanding that the DEA uh, last uh, summer, maybe around August of 2019, they had pulled back some of the restrictions around federal money uh, for cannabis research. Maybe that really was the indication that the industry needed uh, or, or remove some of those obstacles and barriers to it. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit, if, if you have some insight on different research that is currently underway. Of course, we talk a lot about Israel as being a leader for research. But I want to come back to one other thing you said as well, which is the PTSD uh portion that you talked about. And I've seen it a lot that the military stance, not just on marijuana, but on hemp, hemp-derived CBD is very, very strict. Um, and it does seem like there this could be a possible treatment uh, for some of the PTSD we see that uh, coming back from, from our veterans. So I know that's a lot. It's just a lot of thoughts that, that have come to my uh, come to my head as you've been speaking, but maybe you could shed a little bit more light on uh, that research component. Absolutely. Well, one thing that I know that has recently happened is there was a large endowment given to, I know, MIT, and I believe the other school was Harvard. I'm not 100% sure, but I know for sure it was MIT. And uh, they were both given several million dollars in order to help uh, fund research around the benefits of cannabis. And this is really exciting because the funding for this came from a gentleman who um, really earned all of this money in the cannabis industry years ago in Canada um, when uh, all of the foundation was being laid there for the industry. And so I definitely believe that we'll be starting to see, we'll start to see more research in the area. However, I think because with the Schedule 1, it makes it really difficult for the research lab to even get the appropriate types of cannabis that they want to research. I understand that was one of the issues that was going on in, in Louisiana, where they were um, able to begin research, but they were not able to um, have access to all of the different cannabis that's even um, available in the dispensaries in the area as well. And then with the military, it is really uh, quite saddening for me. My husband's actually active duty Army, um, and he's been active duty for over 10 years. And, um, and so definitely PTSD is something that um, has a special place in my heart um, because my husband is a veteran. And um, I, there, there, he has explained to me how um, 
Yes, they, obviously they cannot use uh, marijuana in any form, but also they cannot use even CBD, uh, which I think is extremely unfortunate. I think that, again, the Schedule One status is going to be the big hurdle there. And uh, I think once we actually have, because what does Schedule One mean? Schedule One means, A, the substance is highly addictive, and B, the substance has no medicinal value. And we know that neither one of those statements is true regarding the cannabis plant. And so the fact that it's even on a schedule one is just really a lie, right? And so until we can debunk the lie, until we can actually um, begin to see that cannabis is medicine, I don't believe the military is going to change their stance on that. Um, however, um, I'm, I'm praying for our veterans who may be retired out of the military um, that, you know, obviously they can have access. But the VA obviously is not offering those things um, to the veterans. And so I would love to see um, the drug come off of Schedule 1 so that we can start to see the research and uh, start to see our military personnel benefit from this plant that could help them so tremendously. There's a, there's a term, um, psychoactive or psychotropic. And I was hoping yeah. you could just shed a little light on what that term technically means. Sure. It's, it's been described. Well, you- well, let me just, let me just say it's been described to me that THC is psychoactive or psychotropic whereas CBD is not. Help us understand what it means, what the distinction is, and maybe even weigh in on, is CBD psychoactive? Absolutely, yes, it is. And I love that you asked that question. Uh, Because when we say THC is not psychoactive, what they're really saying is it doesn't produce a high, right? And But on on the other side of that, we say CBD is not psychoactive, but that is untrue. If CBD were non-psychoactive, it would not have an effect on on the brain or on mood. And so I think we're using this term psychoactive really incorrectly because we can have a substance that is very psychoactive and it's, it's changing and manipulating things within the central nervous system, um, but it's not causing a person to feel high. And so I think um, it's just kind of been adopted within the industry to say, you know, this is psychoactive versus this is not psychoactive. However, all cannabinoids are psychoactive. Um, However, some produce a high and some don't. And that's really the distinction that people are trying to make when they state that, even though the statement is really, um, I guess, medically inaccurate, right, to say that CBD is non-psychoactive because absolutely it is. No, that, that's, that's interesting and enlightening. So, and this might be a bit of a nerd question, but beta-caryophylline, is that a cannabinoid? No, that is not a cannabinoid. That is a, uh, a terpene. Can you say it again, beta? Beta-caryophylline, as I understand it, and I might yes. not be saying that correctly. Yes. You're, so I just want to ensure that I, that, I was, that I heard you correctly. Yes. So that is not a cannabinoid it is a terpene however what's interesting about that one is that it is the first terpene that they have discovered that interacts with the endocannabinoid system 
And so it has some cannabinoid-like properties. However, itself is a terpene. And a terpene is another type of phytochemical that we find within really all plants. But specifically what terpenes do is they're responsible for the aroma that a plant uh, will give off. And, and it's usually made for the plant makes it to really fend off other insects um, and things that would come and eat it. And so when you smell a pine cone or fresh cut grass or a rose, what you're smelling are the terpenes. And so that is a terpene that is found within the cannabis plant that does um, actually activate the endocannabinoid system, interestingly enough. Well, that, that your your expertise is is phenomenal, and, and thank you for answering those basic basic questions <laughs> for me. Basic questions because I hear them all the time, and sure. I don't pretend to understand most of these terms. It's it's when you talk to a medical doctor, a doctor is you know it's it's like when you're a lawyer, and sometimes somebody says, "Well, what happens next in this court case or whatever?" And you say, "Oh, there's a there's a motion, and then there's this and this and that," and you just it rolls off your tongue, and you just think that the person you're talking to understands those terms uh, inherently because you use them every single day. That's got to be a challenge uh, having a degree, being a medical doctor, and understanding that from a uh, just a layman's perspective, most of these basic terms are not basic at all to any, to anyone. So, so that's that's really why I ask, and, and thank you uh, for 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 some of that clarity. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you're right. It's very when you do use the terms every day, and it's, it's your you know your love language. Um, sometimes we forget to turn it off until you see the blank stare, and then it's like, let me use my layman terms right now. <laughs> well, we've talked about these obstacles, but I just want to say before we sign off that it is the work of, of someone like yourself that is going to be what gets us past these obstacles, your ability to educate and speak about these issues. And I think you do a phenomenal job of downloading these complex uh, terms and concepts and just giving them to the layman, putting them in a way that's easy to understand. This has been an enlightening conversation for myself. I'm sure it will be for our listeners. And we thank you so much, Dr. Carly Bell Biggins, for coming on to the Hoban Minute and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the Hoban Minute. I love what you all are doing. I think this is so important uh, that you are putting all of the information out there regarding cannabis in so many different areas of the industry. And so thank you for the platform and thank you for um, helping move the cause forward, right, so that everybody has access. We appreciate you. Well, it's people like you that make this all worth it and, and so much fun. So you have an excellent evening. We can't wait to have you on again in the near future. Uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.